Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jody Gale podcast. This episode is sponsored by my new Facebook group, Trauma Warriors. I would like to acknowledge traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you about everything you need to know about the difference between therapy and coaching. And that's for anyone who is deciding whether they need or who are confused about whether they need a therapist or a coach. So the reason for this episode started when I heard Brooke Castillo, Tony Robbins, Murray Folio, and a few big wig sort of coaches out there, typically when they're selling their programs, they often compare coaching with therapy. And a lot of them were sort of saying that therapy was all about the past, all about diagnosis, and coaching was all about the future. So a bunch of therapists and I got together and made a series of blogs about what the real differences are and how you as consumers of therapy or coaching can have more information and correct information about whether you need a therapist or a coach. So the coaching industry is booming and millennials are the new therapy generation with so many big issues in the world right now it's not surprising that people are turning to therapy and coaching en masse. So if you're stuck or struggling, you might be wondering, do I need a therapist or do I need a coach? And what's the difference between therapy and coaching anyway? So I want to preface this podcast by stating that I'm an advocate for both therapy and coaching. I'm a twice certified coach and a master's qualified psychotherapist. So I provide psychotherapy and psychotherapeutic coaching. So um, that's probably not a thing in the US, but it certainly is outside of the US. In the UK, there's uh, psychotherapeutic coaching courses, master's degrees and everything. So over the last 20 or so years, I've participated in my own weekly depth psychotherapy. So um, I've probably had about 12 years of weekly, sometimes three times a week psychotherapy. That's part of my depth psychotherapy training and any good therapist should have had about that much therapy. And then little bits and bobs throughout the years when issues sort of came up, like when we went through infertility and, you know, when we um, got kids through foster care, we engaged a family psychologist. So a significant amount of therapy over the last 20 or so years. I've also had eating psychology coaching, parent coaching with a mothercraft nurse and business coaching. So I've walked the talk basically with both of these modalities. So I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so as someone with insider knowledge and experience in both fields, I hope this podcast episode will dispel some myths and provide you with some clarification around coaching and therapy. It is quite long, so you might need to break it up and listen to it in a couple of different times. So... Okay, we're going to start off with what is psychotherapy? Psychotherapy is often described as a journey of the soul, a deep exploration of your inner and outer world. So for whatever reason, you may be suffering and you may have lost contact with your true self 
And through the therapeutic relationship with your therapist, psychotherapy seeks to restore and renew this connection. So the primary purpose of therapy is to build a healthy relationship with yourself, others, and the world at large. Now, some therapies don't hold that premise. They are more around diagnosis and sort of providing a mental illness perspective. Um, Typically, classic psychotherapies tend to be coming from a more creative and soulful sort of place. So the Psychosynthesis Trust in London says that therapy is a confidential, safe and sacred place where you can meet your challenges, pains and shadows, as well as your light and joy. It includes the full range of human experience by deeper exploration and building your awareness around the physical, emotional, psychological, social, sexual, cultural, ecological, and spiritual elements and influences on your health and well-being. So ultimately, psychotherapy can transform your life by unlocking the potential that's inherent within. So in your therapy, you might work through early childhood and past trauma, as well as current concerns in the here and now. And this, of course, takes time. So there are a few quick fixes in therapy. However, the awareness and skills that you learn in therapy will last you a lifetime. So many coaching versus therapy infographics would have you believe that therapy is just about finding out why you are suffering, stuck or behaving the way you are. However, this is the number one myth about therapy. Therapy is a powerful way to help you find new life direction and a sense of empowerment, even after the most unimaginable suffering. So therapy is not just about building awareness and understanding. It's about activating your will, your life energy, your sense of personal agency, and your capacity for making healthy choices so that you can take action and change behaviors which no longer serve your well-being. So another myth is that therapy solely focuses on diagnosis. So while psychotherapists can and do diagnose severe psychological disturbances, a holistic psychotherapist is more interested in the potential of human nature rather than diagnosis and equating you with your trauma or symptoms. So the therapist uses what we call bifocal vision to see and to help you see that you are more than your problems. Psychotherapy is an art and a science, and I, like many therapists these days, work from a holistic and integrative perspective. And from this stance, therapists integrate the best that Western psychology and science have to offer, along with Eastern and Western spiritual theories, practices and techniques. So such as the search for meaning and purpose and the art of presence, mindfulness, meditation and visualization. Not all therapists work that way. I guess part of your search is going to include finding someone who speaks to what it is that you're individually looking for. You know, there are more medically orientated therapists. Okay, so what is coaching? So coaching tends to fall into two main camps, performance coaching and self-development coaching, and at the heart of both is change. We've just said that for psychotherapy too. So Anthony Grant in his article about the impact of life coaching on goal attainment, so he, he defines coaching as a collaborative solution-focused, result-orientated and systematic process in which the coach facilitates the enhancement of life experience and goal attainment in the personal and or professional life of normal, non-clinical clients. So normal, non-clinical clients. I'm not sure about the use of the word normal there, but I guess you know what he's sort of saying. People who aren't suffering with severe psychological disturbances. 
So in coaching and mentoring, Parslow and Ray say that coaching focuses as rapidly as possible on potential solutions that the person can recognize and take personal responsibility for implementing. The gold standard in coaching, the International Coaching Federation or the ICF, says that coaching is a thought-provoking and creative partnership that inspires clients to maximize their personal and professional potential, often unlocking previously untapped sources of imagination, productivity and leadership. So coaching draws significantly from humanistic and positive psychology and from some of the more shorter-term therapy models, including cognitive behavioral therapy and solution-focused therapy. So just as with humanistic and transpersonal psychotherapists, the underlying belief held by coaches is that you are already whole and you already have everything you need to succeed. So this isn't just true for coaching, it's true for psychotherapy as well. It's the coach's job to ask you the right questions and to guide you towards your own inner resources and psychotherapists do that too. The most obvious difference between coaching and therapy is that coaches are not trained to diagnose or work at depth with mental health concerns such as anxiety, depression, past trauma, and any other underlying issue. They're mostly trained to work in the here, now, and how. So whilst coaches have basic counselling skills such as active listening, they are not trained to provide psychotherapy and should refrain from doing so. The problem that we have with this is because they haven't trained in, um, in, in a depth sort of therapy, they often don't know how to recognise severe psychological disturbances, which is concerning. So not concerning if they stay within their scope and if they've had a really good coach training, they will be able to point them in the right direction there. So where psychotherapy tends to start out more aligned with feminine energy, so qualities such as acceptance, being, love, empathy, compassion, feelings, love, soul, self-realisation, and then moves into more masculine energy, so qualities such as accountability, action-taking, direction, dynamic, goal-setting, doing results focus, thoughts and self-actualization, coaching starts from the more masculine end of the spectrum. So they're into action very quickly. You could also look at that in psychotherapy, look at that as like the mothering and the fathering energy. So we typically start off in therapy with mother energy. And then when we're ready to kick someone back out into the world, once they've healed and once they're ready to go out and do it on their own, once they're ready to end therapy, it's more of a father energy in their masculine energy. Okay, so most coaching requires a baseline level of good health to be effective. And my colleague, Sharon Martin, in her article, What's the Difference Between Coaching and Counselling? She says that coaching is an, uh, also an appropriate choice if you've previously worked with a therapist and your depression or anxiety or other mental health symptoms are well managed. So for some, it will be important to first work with a therapist and resolve some core issues and then work with a coach later for help achieving particular goals. And I know Sharon and how Sharon works and she would also say that she would be working with people's goals too. So once again, there's a bit of a crossover there. Okay, how does therapy work? So relationship is the heart and soul of psychotherapy. So the relationship you have with yourself is the foundation for all future relationships. Self-assured children learn how to become secure through their primary attachment figure. Therapy works in a similar way. So regardless of the modality, research shows that when therapists provide a safe and secure base via a compassionate and boundary therapeutic relationship, you're able to build trust exercise self-expression, thrive emotionally. 
So in therapy, you may experience dependency as you work through your feelings and needs. This is a normal part and a useful part of therapy. And it's too long to go into today, but what I will do is tag in the show notes an article that I wrote called Why Counselors and Psychotherapists Recommend Weekly Therapy. And I talk more about dependency, which a lot of people freak out about, even therapists, and they really shouldn't. If they're trained well, they know how to work with dependency and it's a useful part of the therapy. So as you internalize the whole therapy experience, you slow down, turn inwards, increase your awareness, build in a security and your capacity for connection with your deepest self. You become independent and start making healthy choices. So all of this will will allow you to end therapy and thrive in your relationships, life and the world at large. So there's a deeply pervasive myth that if you go into therapy, you will be there forever. This is simply not true. Dr. Isabel Stringer, so she wrote Beyond Talk Therapy, It's Time to Heal and Grow. She says that the goal from the beginning of therapy is to prepare you to leave, similar to being part of a healthy family system. So your therapist will draw on a range of techniques throughout therapy. This might include, but are not limited to, talk therapy, dream exploration, symbolic artwork, exploring fairy tales, myths and stories, journaling, creative visualization, meditation and mindfulness, self-reflection, homework, reading, self-care practices and psychoeducation, and also somatic exercises too where you're becoming in touch with the body. How does coaching work? So pioneer of coaching in the workplace, author of Coaching for Performance and founder of the Grow Model. So John Whitmore says that coaching works by setting goals which are inspiring, challenging and specific. So also that are measurable and achievable. So the Grow Model, as one example, promotes self-confidence and self-motivation, leading to increased productivity and personal satisfaction. Depending on the type of coaching, the coach will teach you new skills, give you goal sheets, and will monitor your progress in relation to behavior change at each session. Now, some solution-focused and CBT therapists will also be giving you those things there too. And um, I don't know this officially, but I I suspect that coaches are using solution-focused and CBT resources for a lot of this stuff. Journaling, as well as some of the other techniques used in therapy, may also be suggested, such as mindfulness and psychoeducation. So the relationship with the coach is also important, but it isn't used as the primary healing factor like it is in psychotherapy. So this is because coaches are not trained to work with projections and transference in the here and now. So a transference might be you're sitting in therapy every week with your therapist for a year and you start to have really strong feelings about her, like she's your mother or like she's your um, bad stepmother, that would be a negative transference. And part of how therapy works is that we then work through that in the therapy. So if you're angry with your therapist or maybe you're you're projecting love and light onto the therapist and then one day she says something that really doesn't land with you and there's this maternal failure and you never feel like going back ever again and we encourage you to come and work with those things. In coaching, you wouldn't be doing that. You wouldn't be doing that. And typically that arises because you've been in therapy on a weekly basis, whereas coaching tends to be a little bit more 
flexible. So you're not having that strong attachment relationship like you are with a psychotherapist. So coaches often tend to use more self-disclosure as a way of providing hope and motivating you to take action. So I certainly know in my eating disorder coaching, and actually even as a therapist with eating disorder clients, I'd I'd tend to be a little bit more self-disclosing than if I was working with a different population. I think it's really a really useful tool to use to help you see that this person, me, I've suffered, I recovered, and you can too. Okay, so the therapeutic frame. Therapy sessions are typically 50 minutes to one hour long, and they can last short term, so naught to three months, medium term, which I would say would be three months to a year, or long term, which is one plus years and open-ended. Therapists are held accountable by their state or national governing body. They therefore spend a lot of time in the first session explaining how therapy works, the complaints process confidentiality and boundaries. So this frame, we call this the frame, and it helps you to build trust and to feel safe and secure. Psychotherapists work in private practice, hospitals, treatment centres, and in government agencies. In private practice, you can choose to pay privately or you may be able to receive insurance rebates uh, for psychology services through Medicare or through private insurance in some countries. So whilst uh, therapy generally takes place in a private clinic or home office, many therapists are providing therapy out in the world. For example, equine therapy takes place on a farm or a ranch. Walk and talk therapy takes place outside. Dance or drama therapy takes place in a studio. Uh, Therapy also takes place in residential treatment centres. Some coaches and counsellors might describe the therapy frame as rigid which has negative connotations because many therapists work with people who have suffered with early childhood emotional neglect and trauma. The frame is considered the safe and secure base from which to explore your inner and outer world. So with the trauma history, there was likely a lack of consistency, safety, routine, reliability. The therapist and the frame provide this so that you can repair your early attachment related injuries There's an article called Greedy Bastards, Why Your Therapist Charges for Missed Sessions or something like that. It has little to do with money for the therapist. Typically, especially someone who's trained psychodynamically or psychoanalytically, we just consider that this is the base for all future healing work and it is really valued as being very important. We take it very seriously. So the therapist does relax the frame when making specific interventions to suit you as the client. So the way I work is I only take people for weekly therapy. So there's no, we call it Swiss cheese when you've got like missing holes all throughout the session, all throughout the schedule. I don't work like that. Uh, I don't think it's psychologically safe to do that, especially in early, early therapy with people with eating disorders and trauma. But, you know, later on when I'm thinking, okay, this person needs a little bit of flexibility, I'll relax the frame. You know, I might run over in my session, whereas I I was quite rigid early on in the therapy, just making sure that I'm always that consistent, safe, secure base. So it's important to remember that people are one and many. So while some people may present as high functioning, adult even, there is always a younger, needy inner child and um, younger parts of you that will be present in the room. So it's this child that is most important in relation to why we hold the boundaries regarding the consistency of therapy. Same place, same day, same time. 
Therapy provides a different experience from that which was experienced in your early life. So it's a still point amidst the chaos. Okay, so we're going to move on to the coaching frame even less than that with some coaches, depending on what you need. I mean, I know when we had, um, so we got two children through foster care to adopt and all of a sudden, like we got the call and two weeks later, there were these two kids on our doorstep (laughs) and it was like, oh my God, now what do I do? (laughs) And so I called a mother craft nurse that I'd heard was very good with attachment. She was a bit of a guru here and she came out to the home. So she came out a couple of times, a couple of months apart just to help with, um, you know, as, as the children were growing at different ages. And I mean, the first one was like, what do they eat? When do they sleep? How do you put them to sleep? So she was very much hands-on teaching me, you know, exactly. Okay. Listen for this cry. Okay. In you go. So very, very hands-on. So yes. So coaching can be quite regular or it can be come when you sort of need me sort of thing. So coaching is always private pay. Uh, Sessions are not covered by insurance or Medicare. Some coaches work open-ended and some sell their sessions in packages. So, for example, my coaching packages are six sessions and these are based around a six-step process. So it's a very clear start and end, whereas therapy would be six sessions getting to know you. Let's see if we're going to continue working together. And at that six-session point, we we leave it open-ended. So because the coaching industry is not regulated at all, coaches can work globally and across straight li- um, across state lines. So that's speaking more to an American audience when I say that. Um, therapists in the States aren't allowed to work over different state lines unless they uh, have documentation for the relevant state. Um, Yes, so sessions can take place in the coach's office, on the sporting field, at home, at a restaurant or cafe. I used to meet my business coach in a cafe. You would never do that with a therapy client. Whilst taking a walk or online. So the sky's the limit with coaching. And in America, a lot of therapists are turning to coaching because of the strict re- regulations over there uh, and especially around diagnosis and um, not being able to, like basically if you see a, th- if you see a therapist in, um, say, California and then you go to school in New York, you have to leave your therapist because they're not allowed to work across the state lines. I just find that, um, I just think that would be a tragedy. I can't even imagine what that would be like. I would have hated to lose my therapist, that's for sure. Okay, so in recovery coaching, often coaches provide telephone calls and texting as part of, as part of the fee package. So this can be very useful if, for example, you're recovering from an eating disorder and need to reach out to your coach instead of binging or purging. Likewise, for someone in alcohol, alcohol or drug addiction recovery, it's good to have that in between person, in between sessions. And that's when thera- I think therapy and coaching would work really well with each other. So what are the benefits of psychotherapy? So there are many benefits of psychotherapy and here are some of the most common. To find resolution of the pervasive underlying causes of your problems, to learn how your problems are the catalyst for growth and transformation, uh, heal from early childhood trauma and abuse, uh, find freedom from self-destructive thoughts and behaviours, to build a toolbox of coping and life skills, to facilitate healthy lifelong change, to build a strong foundation for healthy relationships, increase self-esteem, self-worth and self-confidence, become more intuitive and creative, uh, reconnect with your true self, discover value, meaning and purpose in life and to get in touch with your whole being, body, feelings, mind, uh, sexuality and spirituality. 
Okay. So what are the benefits of coaching? The most obvious benefit to coaching is that you are very likely to see quick positive results as an outcome. And the Agape International Coaching Conference also highlights the following benefits. So improvement in an individual's performance target and goals, increased openness to personal learning and development, increased ability to identify solutions to specific issues, greater ownership and responsibility, development of self-awareness, improvement of specific skills or behaviour, greater clarity in roles and objectives and the opportunity to correct behaviour or performance difficulties. I've got to say all those things fall under psychotherapy as well. What training do therapists have? So these are what we call modalities. So I might be talking a bit of therapy lingo here. So the different theories that people follow, we've got psychodynamic, Jungian, psychosynthesis, gestalt, Buddhist, existential, transactional analysis, art psychotherapy, somatic experiencing. So all of these sort of therapies take anywhere from four to eight years for the therapist to become qualified. The training is almost always in person and is experiential, which means that the trainee has had an experience of the theory and technique actually in practice. So this is via individual small and large group exercises. So obviously this has changed a little bit because of COVID, but I've recently been doing some training with an organisation in the UK and it is still very much experiential, even though we're doing it on Zoom. My training, for example, in psychotherapy, it, it took eight years from start to end. It's a commitment. It really is becoming a psychotherapist. It's a, it's a really big commitment. And we take it very, very seriously. This is not, not a light sort of undertaking. It, it's very serious for us. So as part of the training, therapists are required to submit research essays, case studies, dissertations, and anywhere between 200 and 1,000 clinical practice hours, depending on where you train. And that's with clients, which have, um, and they're supervised and individual or group supervision, which means we have someone much more experienced above us, like we have to take recordings and all that kind of stuff. And they listen and you do this thing called a fishbowl where you have to sit in the room in front of everyone and be a therapist or a client and it's terrifying, <laughs> but um, it's got to be done. So not all psychotherapy trainings are equal and psychotherapy is not regulated in all countries. So ethical and good quality therapists will be registered with their state and or national governing body. So in Australia, uh, I'm a member of PACFA and that will vary in different countries. So in the UK, it's UKCP and in the States, there'll be a different one for each state. So because psychotherapy isn't a registered title in all countries, unfortunately, many health professionals say that they provide psychotherapy when they aren't in fact trained in psychotherapy at all. This is not saying one training is better than another, but for example, a psychologist can call themselves a psychotherapist. A social worker can call themselves a psychotherapist. In Australia, having done psychology and social work training and counselling and psychotherapy, I can tell you now that these trainings are very, very different. Personally, I would love to see a psychologist just say that they provide psychological therapy or a social worker that they provide clinical social work, which they do in the States. But um. Anyway, that's not how it is at the moment. So you really need to spend some time looking at 
the training that someone's had, the modality. You wouldn't go to an existential psychotherapy if that wasn't what you were into, yeah? So a qualified therapist will typically have letters and numbers after their name. So it might say something like Jane Smith, MA Psych, Pack for Reg, one, two, three, four, five. And that's their registration number. And it tells you that they're part of a governing body. Right, this is where it gets a little bit sticky. What training do coaches have? So I'm going to have trouble pronouncing this this person's name. Elias Abujude in Psyche Magazine says, it's easy to become a coach. Aided by low barriers to entering the profession, coaching has grown into an industry of more than 53,000 practitioners worldwide in 2018. So that's got to have um, exploded even more since then, to be honest. So some coaches do not have any training at all. Some have a few hours of training. Some have a few months to a year of training. So globally, coaching is a non-regulated industry. And this means that there are no official education requirements for coaching courses and anyone can hang a shingle on their door and call themselves a coach. So I've participated in two coach trainings. The first one was the Institute of Psychology of Eating, and that took about eight months and thousands of hours of videos. I just remember doing it thinking, are these videos ever going to end? It it was really, really quite in depth. And um, Mark David, the founder who was doing most of the videos, it was fascinating because all of a sudden it ended and it was like, oh, I miss listening to him every day (laughs) because it kind of just went on forever. (laughs) And the second training I did was the Carolyn Coston Institute and the same thing happened. I thought, oh, Carolyn, that's our last video together. So that took me about a year and a half to do that training. So both were extremely rigorous and um, particularly Carolyn's, you know, we had to have clinical supervision. We had to record sessions with clients and she pulled them to bits and it was a very, very, very in-depth training. However, a quick search on the ICF website for coach trainings in my local area in Sydney, New South Wales, brought up four organisations where the training in total took four and a half hours to become a coach a certified coach, four and a half hours. So there's a bit of difference there between eight years of training and four and a half hours. And that's not to say that someone who has four and a half hours isn't particularly going to be a good coach. You know, they may have had a lot of life experience in in something. I remember doing my training with someone who as a teenager had really sort of got off the rails and then got into Tai Chi and became a sort of Tai Chi master. Someone like him who then went and did a coaching course, I mean, he would have been fantastic. But um, on the whole, four and a half hours is not a very long time. So beware. Okay, professional development requirements. So therapists, It is a very expensive career. You have to do so many hours of training every year because we do not want to do harm to people. So the majority of psychotherapists are registered with their national state board and are required to participate in a specific number of hours per year of continued professional development or what we call CPD. And that's to stay registered, accredited, licensed. So this also depends on the country. In Australia, PACFA and the UK, UKCP, the yearly requirements are 20 hours of training a year and CPD is aimed at raising the therapist's awareness in terms of contemporary thinking, best practice, the latest evidence and might include attendance at training and conferences, participating in research, writing journal articles or reading the latest research and techniques in psychotherapy. Coach continual professional development. So because so few coaches are registered with a peak body, 
most coaches are not therefore required to participate in an annual continued professional development. If the coach chooses to register with the ICF, they require registered participants to take part in continuing coach education. And there are a few training organisations that do require coaches to participate in ongoing continued professional development. And Carolyn Coston Institute uh, is one of those. So I've just reached my two mark year qualified with her. And I had to do seven hours of professional development and then an exam at the end of it. So once again, because she's a therapist, she's very on the ball with that sort of stuff. Okay, clinical supervision for therapists. So clinical supervision is a process whereby therapists are supported in their role by another therapist who is more experienced and trained in clinical supervision. So therapists participate in individual peer and group supervision for the duration of their working careers. So what I would do, I mean, I go monthly at the moment, um, but there have been periods where I've been going fortnightly or even weekly, depending on how many clients I'm seeing at any one time. So I have a a formal supervisor monthly. I see another supervisor um, a few times a year and another one a few times a year specific to specific issues. And then I have one colleague, one trusted colleague that if we, like I had a situation this week where I thought I really need some advice on on where to go with this. I just knew that this person even just saying what the issue was and then coming back and thinking, oh, okay, I've actually solved that myself already just by talking about it. So what we do is we have our clients sign off that we have supervision when they first come and sign the paperwork. So, and that that's also under confidentiality. And we again, take very good care and don't ever use people's names. We just, this is what, this is what's happening. And I'm a bit stuck here. So we're always, always seeking to do no harm. So to ensure therapists are doing no harm, to ensure the efficacy of the therapist practice, to provide professional development and self-care for the therapist, all of which benefit you as the client and the outcomes of your therapy. So in Australia, PACFA and UK with the UKCP, as well as many other countries, at least monthly clinical supervision for the duration of the therapist's career is is a requirement of the governing board. Now in the States, once they're qualified, they don't have to have clinical supervision, which I find shocking, to be honest. Yeah. Anyway, we won't go there. So coach supervision requirements. Coaches are not required to participate in any form of supervision in regards to their ongoing coaching practice. Those who choose to register with the ICF are required to participate in 10 hours of mental coaching within a three-year period. So just put that into perspective. Psychotherapists would have I think we need to have exactly 10 hours a year, but more once we get to 400 client hours. So what the ICF is saying is that coaches need 10 hours every three-year period. So that works out at what, three point something per, per year or something which is better than none. But if you're working with a lot of clients, that that is a lot to hold. You know, we're holding some pretty heavy stuff, coaches and therapists. So I would hope that most are seeking supervision, but I don't think they are. Okay. Therapist personal therapy requirements. So many psychotherapy trainings require their trainee therapist to participate in weekly psychotherapy for the duration of their training. So this works out at about 40 sessions a year for at least four years, but it could be up to eight. So by the time I finished my psychotherapy training, I'd had 40 sessions a year for eight years. Plus I'd been in therapy a couple of years before that and I was going three times a week. So it's a lot of therapy. So we really walk the talk. 
So the College of Psychotherapy branch of PACFA in Australia, they require a minimum of 200 hours of personal psychotherapy before the psychotherapist can register with the college. So this is actually a relatively new thing a couple of years ago. So why is this? Firstly, it is highly debatable about whether a practitioner is actually providing psychotherapy if they have never been in psychotherapy themselves. Secondly, most people who come to the helping professions, whether it's therapy, coaching, counselling, social work, psychology, even nursing, often what Jung called wounded healers, and this means that we often come from our own trauma history. So it's absolutely necessary for wounded healers to have worked through their own suffering, to work through their own dependency issues, basically working through their own shit. And without doing so, that which is unconscious can get projected onto the very people, you, that we're trying to help. And this can be dangerous to those who are extremely vulnerable. So if you'd like more information, I wrote all about this in one of my blogs called Why Your Therapist Should Be in Therapy. So I'm going to tag that in the show notes as well coaching, personal coaching requirements. So it's extremely rare for coach training to require their trainees to participate in their own coaching. If it's a recovery coaching program, there will most likely be a requirement that the coach has had at least two years or more in recovery themselves before they're allowed to participate in the training. So these coaches have likely had their own treatment, therapy or coaching, uh, certainly recovery coaches. Many of them would have had 12-step as well. The ICF requires its credentialed coaches to participate in 10 hours of mental coaching within a three-year period. Okay, so the types of therapy. We touched on this a little bit before. There's many schools of therapy. Each therapist will likely subscribe to a core school of thought and will then add modalities over time via continued professional development. So the therapist will then likely apply their psychological thinking to their area of speciality. So addiction, anxiety, creative processes, depression, eating disorders, life crisis, relationships, and spiritual crisis. It's important to note here that therapists do not just work with problems. Many also work with unleashing creativity, working towards specific work or life goals. And some of the most popular schools of thought, we, I touched on them before, but I'll go over some of them again. Acceptance commitment therapy, attachment-based therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, creative therapy such as art, dance and drama, depth psychotherapy, dialectical behaviour therapy, emotionally focused therapy, humanistic therapy, gestalt, existential therapy, integrative therapy, internal family systems, Jungian psychotherapy, neuropsychotherapy, positive psychology, somatic and sensory motor psychotherapy, soul-centered psychotherapy, psychoanalytic, psychodynamic, psychosynthesis and psychospiritual and transactional analysis. So they're the sort of main ones that I sort of could think of off the top of my head. Types of coaching. So many coaching styles and techniques have emerged out of humanistic and positive psychology and human resources. So some of the most popular schools of thought influencing coaching models today are the autocratic style, uh, cognitive behavioral coaching, demographic style, which is popular in career, financial and personal growth, emotional freedom technique coaching, holistic coaching, solution-focused coaching, neuro-linguistic programming, therapeutic coaching, which is provided by coaches who were originally trained in psychotherapy. So what reasons might you seek a psychotherapist? So you might seek therapy for some of the same reasons that you were uh, considering coaching. 
So in the recently updated definition of psychotherapy, the Counselling and Psychotherapy Federation of Australia says that many people enter psychotherapy because they are curious about themselves. They may seek to gain a more accurate and fuller picture of themselves, insights into why they behave the way they do, why they relate the way they do, and understanding of patterns that play out in their life. Some clients are functioning satisfactorily and are seeking connection, revitalization, meaning, and increased creativity. Other people come to a psychotherapist because they are experiencing discomfort, dissatisfaction, behavioral or relational disturbances, or suffering in their lives. Some are wanting a more stable, deeper exploration of issues that may have been helped with by other professionals to deal with on a largely functional level as distinct from an internal transformational experience. Psychotherapists work with people who have a wide range of presenting concerns. Some such concerns are depression, anxiety disorders, personality disorders, eating disorders, self-harm, illness, addiction, grief, trauma, abuse, relationship difficulties in personal life and at work, communication, intimacy and commitment problems and a yearning for more from life. So therapy is a life-changing experience from the inside out. The reasons you might seek a coach. Coaching is a wonderful resource when you need guidance to help you build a new skill or to stay motivated with goals. So here are some examples. Business coaching helps to to gain clarity, goals, vision, and growth of your business. A mothercraft coach helps mums and dads with guidance and practical support in their new role as parents. Life coaching helps you to identify your goals and develop an actionable plan to achieve them in areas of unhelpful habits, behaviors, finance, relationships, and life in general. Health and wellness coaching can help you to manage or overcome chronic illness and work towards achieving optimal well-being. Fitness sports coaching is useful for helping you to stay on track with your fitness goals and if you want to learn a new sporting skill or enhance your technique. Recovery coaching can help you to transition from a treatment center or the coach can be with you out in the world where your therapist can't. So some coaches even do live in, so uh, many of the Carolyn Costin coaches do that. Okay, so what are the limitations of therapy? Uh, probably the most obvious limitation of therapy is that it takes time and money. So often when someone arrives at the therapist's door, they are in extreme stress and almost always seeking immediate relief to their problems. They just want to feel better. So in Why Does Therapy Take So Long? Lauren Vinipal says that patients looking for immediate relief are unlikely to find it. That sucks, but there's some good news as well. So she goes on to say that the vast majority of therapists seem to agree on one thing, progress takes time, lots of time. So for those engaged in therapy and even for those committed to it over the long term, this can be profoundly frustrating and also profoundly expensive. This leads to attrition. It shouldn't. The problem isn't ultimately that psychotherapy takes time, is that people approach the process looking for relief rather than understanding the hard work ahead. The good news is, is that therapy works, and I'm going to link to that in the show notes, some data there, and is a resource that will last you a lifetime. So therapy really does turn people's lives around. Another limitation of therapy is the way that it is perceived by the public. So National Psychotherapy Day in the US says that therapy suffers an image problem. Whilst this list is not exhaustive, here are some of the reasons that therapy has an image problem. 
So it's often dramatized and portrayed negatively on TV and in the movies. Some very powerful gurus have toxic infographics doing the rounds promoting coaching uh, to suck people into their coaching training courses and coaching marketing funnels and portray therapy in extremely negative ways. It's hard to make therapy look sexy due to therapists adhering to strict ethical guidelines around uh, solicitation of testimonials and the use of client stories. Okay, one of the, now this is my personal opinion. One of the biggest limitations to therapy comes from within the psychology field itself. Medically orientated psychological models which use pathologizing and stigmatizing language and diagnostic labels have hijacked psychotherapy and they dominate government funded treatment. So it might surprise you to know that many counselors and psychotherapists around the globe do not subscribe to medically orientated illness or disease models. They work in a highly creative, integrative and holistic way where therapy is about tending to and taking care of your soul. So what are the limitations of coaching? Critics of the coaching industry suggest that there are several reasons that the industry is booming. Coaching offers new skill building. The industry isn't regulated and anyone can hang a shingle on their door. Ouch. So other criticisms include the lack of standards, research and metrics to ensure efficacy. So in uh, the 2016 ICF Global Coach Study, the number one obstacle identified by ICF professional coaches is untrained individuals who call themselves coaches. So the coaching industry itself knows that this is a problem and it's one of their biggest concerns as well. So that's coming from people who do proper coach training and who are, you know, well-trained. So in life coaching rising in popularity, should it be regulated? Critics of the coaching industry are dissatisfied with pseudo credentialing mills and they don't believe the ICF to be credible due to a lack of outside regulation. They also believe coaching to be harmful to clients because coaches who are not trained by a reputable training organisation are not aware of the difference between coaching and therapy. So therefore providing substandard versions of both confidentiality and adherence to other ethical standards within the mental health arena are also lacking for coaches who are untrained. The California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists in their comprehensive article Coaching versus Therapy state, unlike licensed psychotherapist or properly supervised registered associate, Coaches do not have the legal authority and therefore may not lawfully diagnose or treat their clients mental health illnesses. This is true regardless of whether a coach has received education and training similar to that of a psychotherapist. Furthermore, coaches may not delve into the past, provide a cure to a men mental illness or relieve mental and or emotional suffering. Coaches may not seek to resolve the deeper underlying issues that cause serious mental and emotional problems. A coach who addresses issues of mental health or relationships without being appropriately licensed may be unlawfully practicing medicine and or psychotherapy without a license. So having researched extensively for this blog post, there are many coaches advertising inner child, inner family systems, sorry, internal family systems and trauma coaching, all of which involve delving into the past. Apart from the legal implications in some countries, coaches are therefore at risk due to the lack of training of re-traumatizing vulnerable clients. So it's highly likely that that's happening. 
Another concern, particularly in the self-development branch of coaching, is the extreme positive thinking and spiritual bypassing that often goes hand in hand with this field. So if you go back to my episode with Dr. Lara Owen, uh, she talks about toxic positivity in that one. Having been in the self-development and therapy industry for 20 years, there is no yin without yang, no summer without winter, and just as in Dante's Divine Comedy, no paradiso without making one's way through the dark woods. Uh, In The Perils of Extreme Positive Thinking, Dr. Lara Owen says, the soul or psyche is not interested in success as much as it is interested in the truth. So she warns of the true motivation behind goal-seeking, Are the goals ego-centred or soul-centred? In Molly Young-Brown's Secret Behind the Secret, she talks about how you can't always get what you want and just because you want something, ego calling, it isn't always what you need, self-calling. So she wrote her article before the explosion of social media, so I expect if she updated it now, she'd have a lot to say about living up to the Joneses via Instagram influencers, wellness warriors and the like. Okay, how to find a therapist. Psychotherapy is not regulated in every country. However, due to therapy having been a profession since the late 1800s, training and regulation has become more rigorous over time. And the majority of psychotherapists are registered and either self-regulated through their state or country's governing body. Uh, The best place to find a therapist is there for through your state or national governing governing body federation or organisation. So that's PACFA in Australia. UKCP in the UK. Uh, You may come across a therapist on a therapist directory that you like the look of. Once you've found someone to confirm their credibility, type their name into the National Registry. Uh, And again, in Australia, the overarching registry for all counsellors and psychotherapists is RCAP. Alternatively, a certain modality or help for a specific symptom may be of interest to you. Many training and mental health organisations have a database of therapists. So, for example, the Trauma Support Providers Directory, which was recently established by the Australian Government as a response to the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. So requirements for all of the above databases are highly rigorous and a group of therapists around the globe recently blogged about how to choose a therapist. So I'm going to link to their blog post in the show notes. How to find a coach. So many coaches have prior training in their field of specialization. So for example, leadership, human resources, finance, psychotherapy, education, sport, mothercraft, nursing, and health science. So coaches who are trained in a prior degree bring specialized theory, knowledge, and skill. Specialized coaches adhere to their governing body's ethics and practice standards, whereas untrained coaches do not have someone to report to like that. The International Coaching Federation recommends that you do your homework by reflecting on your goals, interview at least three coaches and confirm their credibility. So the ICF has provided the following questions to ask your potential coach. What is your coaching experience? So number of individuals coach, years of experience, types of coaching situations. What is your coach specific training? An ICF accredited training program, other coach training, other specific training, etc. What is your coaching speciality or areas in which you most often work? What types of organizations do you work with most often? And at what levels, i.e. executive, upper management, middle management, etc.? What types of assessments are you certified to deliver? And what are some of your coaching success stories, specific examples of clients who have succeeded as a result of coaching? 
Now, therapy, we wouldn't really do that because that would be seen as a lack of confidentiality. So I wonder how they get around that. Look, to be honest, they don't tend to be as confidential because I see that online quite a lot. So you will find coaches via searching online through the ICF website and through coach training organizations database and their website. So if you have a history of childhood emotional neglect or trauma of any kind, please take extra care when choosing your coach. There's a new trend around inner child and emotional coaching. This type of work requires a very skilled clinician. So my first choice is a trauma therapist or at very least a therapeutic coach, which is someone who trained first as a psychotherapist, then as a coach. So one major difference between therapy and coaching is that therapists are trained to work with the underlying pain, trauma, and dissociative states that need reintegrating and coaches are not. And they, um, one of the articles I read recently, I can't remember which one it was, but this is the biggest problem for coaching because they, they're not actually trained to recognize when things are going wrong for people. So um, we're coming to the end. Psychotherapy and coaching can both offer life-changing experiences. And as part of your overall well-being package, a psychotherapist and a qualified coach make a great combination. A note to mention, if you're having psychotherapy and coaching alongside each other, please be careful of what we call the good-bad split that can emerge. So typically, because coaches do tend to work in more that uh, the, more the sort of transpersonal, the love and light and mystic flight, and you're getting goal-orientated very quickly, sometimes there can be a, a good transference or good projection onto the coach, and then maybe the therapist wants you to dive into your trauma, and then there might be a bad projection, and we call this splitting. So coaches who have been therapists first will know how to work with this, but coaches who have never trained in therapy will not be able to work with it very well. In fact, I've had clients that have been, I don't say poached by coaches because I don't think that's necessarily the exact right word, but some have been told, oh, you shouldn't be going into your trauma. You shouldn't be talking about this. You should, you know, let's all do love and light. And that's fine. But I suspect that I, um, and I do see those clients back six months, a year later. So I do think coaches do need a bit of extra training around that kind of stuff in terms of how to pick that up and how not to go to that splitting with the therapist. Good coaches work with therapists and vice versa. And the same goes for therapists. The, the number of therapists I see dissing coaching in therapy um, Facebook groups is unbelievable. So, and actually, the coaches that we're talking about in those groups have been therapists first. So, they've got, we all know they've got very good training. So, anyway, okay. If you're having negative feelings about your therapist, feel free to take them to the therapy. We're trained to work through them. If you want to learn a new skill or have already been in therapy, coaching is a wonderful resource on its own. I mentioned it earlier, my colleagues have written some wonderful blogs on therapy versus coaching, myths about therapy, all that kind of stuff. So you can read them in the show notes. Yeah, I think that's it. So I hope this episode is helpful for anyone wanting to know the difference between therapy and coaching. And do feel free to get in touch if you need to about anything that I've talked about today the show notes, thesoulcenter.online forward slash soul sessions 37. Do you need a therapist or a coach? Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions podcast. Love this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind and soul, get Jody's free 65-page ebook at thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.